ideally, you want to put assets that have a higher expected rate of return in accounts that are more tax favored, such as a Roth IRA or a brokerage account versus a retirement account. Your retirement account, no matter what the growth is of that thing, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. So if I have some high flying stocks inside my IRA versus my Roth IRA, well, you might want to switch that because if I get all this great growth in my IRA account, well, I'm partners with the IRS. If it's in a Roth, I don't have a partner. 100% tax-free. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe and Big Al cover in great detail the top 10 tax-saving strategies of the last 25 years. From tax loss harvesting to 529 education savings plans. From the pros and cons of S-Corps versus LLCs to asset location, that is, what type of assets you put in what type of accounts. From charitable giving to estate tax planning, well, you get the idea. Also, an overview of what happened in the market in the second quarter and Titans, Tritons, Sun Gods, and Mermen. Now, with all the info you need to know, and then some. Here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Now we're back to the grind. Back to the grind, huh? Yes, sir. It's not all that bad. We enjoy what we do. Yeah, I would say 95%. Yeah, I might say 99. Wow. I'm There's going. no way. <laughs> 99. I'm just in a, in a state of denial and bliss. Actually, you know what I think, Joe? What? I think life is what you make of it. It is. I'm going to get I'm going to get philosophical. Every day. I think every day you have a choice whether you want to be positive or negative, and if you choose to be positive, it's amazing how things tend to work out better. So that's my lesson of the day. Okay. All right. We're done. You feel Let's pretty positive. Cl- close it out. <laughs> Speaking of positive, I'm going to go through the Q2 market update. Oh, you are? Okay. Good. It's a ton of numbers, and it's really bad radio. <laughs> but we got nothing else? But I got nothing else. All right, here we go. So do I, do Q2, here's that? the numbers. U.S. stock market up 3.02%. 3.02 for the U.S. stock market in Q2 of 2017. That's, Not bad. That's the entire U.S. market? That is the entire U.S. stock market. Okay. Um, quarterly average. The average quarterly return. Um, is 1.9%. Uh, so we are beating the average of the U.S. stock market uh, once again, so the last several quarters. So on average, we get about 2% per quarter. Right. Uh, but we did 3%. Yes. Uh, okay. International developed stocks up almost 6%, 5.63%. Emerging markets led the way at 6.27%. Just for a quarter, huh? Just for a quarter. That's if it annualized, that's 24%, 25. The best quarter ever for emerging markets was back in 2009 at 34.7% for the quarter. One quarter, One 30%. Quarter. Wow. A few months, 34%. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then global real estate was up one and a half, one. Point six seven. Okay. Uh, U.S. bond market was up a point and a half, one point four five percent. Okay. And then uh, let's see, global bonds uh, minus the U.S. So international emerging market okay. uh, debt it was up about sixty basis points. Sixty. So that's that's a little more than one half of a percent. Yeah, but f- yeah. Because a lot of people don't know what a basis point is. Well, that's why you're here. I'll it's a uh, hundred. A hundred basis points equals one percent. So, um, U.S. stocks, so if we break it down into just the U.S. stock component, it's 52% of the market capitalization. So, if you take a look at the entire markets of the world, the U.S. still has $25.1 trillion of market cap. So, that's 52% of the world's market capitalization is still here in the U.S. So, that means all public companies, their values added together. That's what market cap is. Yeah, but of course, you have countries in there like China. 
Right. That kind of cooked the books a little bit. You think? <laughs> so it's uh, it may be a little misleading. It could be. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm not an economist. I'm just that's just my opinion. Some you know <laughs> some really a... smart people are listening. This yeah, like Anderson's can, an idiot. Well, they can call in and tell us the real truth. Uh, so large growth. Uh, led the way at 4.67%. So large cap growth companies, small growth was about 45 4.39% for the quarter. Large yeah. cap altogether was 3%. Mm-hmm. Uh, small caps were up 25 Large value, 1.34. And small value up about 67 basis points. Okay. So in this particular quarter, growth beat value. Yes. And interestingly enough... And large when- beat small. Right. And when you chart long term, it's usually the opposite. Yeah. Well, if you take a look at the fourth quarter of last year, yeah. it was the exact opposite. Yeah. yeah. Small value crushed. And what's 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 hard, I mean, you can't really take one quarter and call that a trend. But uh, when you take 10 or 20 years uh, and look at it that way, small and value tend to outperform large and growth. Right, because there's more risk associated with those types of companies. But also it's more volatile. And so you may have some quarters where it it significantly outperforms and some quarters where it significantly underperforms. Yeah. Let's go international, develop stocks. Uh, Small cap led the way there. Really? So if you invested in small small companies internationally, up about 7.28%. Oh, that's the best one. Uh, Growth companies, 7%. Okay. Large caps up 5.6, and value companies were up about 4.3. Okay. So that's uh, international. Let's go to emerging markets, shall we? Okay. What led the way there? Growth. 9.5% for emerging market growth-oriented companies. We have a new winner. Okay. Large caps uh, did about 6.5. Value companies in the emerging markets sector did 3.5%. Now, this is for the quarter. This is just for the past few months. One this quarter. Is, right. It's not, not um, average for the year. No. That's yeah. just what it performed for the quarter. Okay. In uh, small companies, we're up just shy of 3%, 2.7. Okay. So what what do we do with all that? <laughs> hey, I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> really? I've got to keep listening? Well, well, yes, because now it's going to get fun. Okay. Ranked developed markets. All right, so we got different countries here. What oh. do you think is the highest performing country uh, for the quarter? Uh, let me see. I'm going to guess um, the Netherlands. Oh, the <laughs> Netherlands. That wasn't a bad guess. The Netherlands were up about um, 8%. That's pretty good. Austria. Austria. 18% for Austria. That's close. Denmark, 15%. Finland, 13%. New Zealand, 11%. The reason why I'm sharing this with everyone, Alan, is because it's impossible (laughs) to predict predict that Austria was going to do 18%. Well, in the time you talked, I already moved all my assets to Austria. How about emerging markets? All right, so emerging markets would be China, Taiwan, uh, Mexico, Peru, uh, Turkey, Greece, Poland, South Korea, Czech, uh, Republic, Egypt, things like that. What do you think is the highest performing emerging market country? Uh, Brazil. Brazil. Uh, No, that was at the bottom. (laughs) Okay. China. Greece. Oh, I was just there. I should have Greece. Greece. So w- how much bad news do we hear about Greece? A lot. <laughs> Guess what Greece did um, over the past quarter? 34%. In one quarter? One quarter. Really? 34%. Hungary. Wow. 
it's, it's because I went on a cruise and spent a lot of money. Exactly. That's you just it. helped that GDP there, I big Al. It, it, it raised at least 10%. It's <laughs> a big wallet all those, of big all Al. All those trinkets we bought. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Just killed it right there. I think because people know it's, it's a little bit less expensive to travel there. Yeah. Now, right? I don't know. I wouldn't want to. It was good. I recommend it. All right. So, um, we even went to Turkey, and a lot of people don't want to go to Turkey anymore. Turkey was up 18.8%. Really? Okay. News you can lose. All right. Commodities. You want to talk about some commodities? Most people like to talk about gold. Yeah, that's the one you hear about most. Yeah. Down 1%. Down. Yeah. But if you bought Kansas wheat, you're up 17.5%. And oh. then just wheat. How about lean hogs? Lean hogs was up fourteen, <laughs> what, fourteen point four percent. Thinking, I was trying to consider between hogs. Live cattle was next, and- eight and a half. <laughs> Sugar was down about twenty percent. Coffee was down about twelve percent. So it was either hogs or coffee. No. Yeah. So the last quarter was hogs. Last quarter was hogs. So, so, so it- does this? Uh, does any of this apply to going forward? Well, no, I think, yeah, you want to be globally diversified in all different areas and all different countries. Because every quarter, it's completely different. It's going to be a little bit different, right? Yeah. Because when you hear bad news, we've heard a lot of bad news about international emerging markets, right? right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that's you, you don't want to invest there. Right. Um, and the proof is right here that emerging markets led the way again. Uh, extremely volatile asset class, so it's not like you want to put 100% of your assets there, but you want to be diversified within different areas of the overall globe. If you look at market capitalization, still the U.S., we have such a home biased, right? Right. And if for, for all of you listening, even though I've never seen your portfolio, I can probably predict exactly what it looks like. You know, you probably have 60% stocks, 70% stocks, right, Al? And yeah. I would say about 90% of the stocks that you own is all large company growth. That would be a kind of a good representative of, uh, of what we see. And we've seen thousands. We have seen thousands, yeah. And we analyze portfolios, we take a look, and there's a home bias, right? So, I mean, a case in point, uh, in terms of how people do this, the emerging markets, until last year, Joe, it was probably the worst asset class for like three years in a row. Yeah. And everyone said, please don't invest in that, because that one doesn't work. Right, right. And now last year was great, and this year, here we go. Yeah, give me more of that. Yeah. You know? so. <laughs> But then that's where the greed factor comes in. Yeah. It's like, well, all right, well, here. Yeah. Be, be, and then you have to rebalance and tax manage this. Sure. And you have to understand, first of all, what are you trying to accomplish? What rate of return are you trying to achieve in the overall portfolio to accomplish your goals? Right. Uh, but then the wheels come off every time when the markets move. Because it's like, okay, yes, I want to maintain a 4%, 6%, 7%, whatever rate of return that you need to generate to make sure that you have long-term success in the overall investment. Right. But when you see one asset class outperforms another by a significant margin, the likelihood of that person keeping with their own strategy is very, very low. Because they'll be like, all right, well, here, let's just take a look at the overall performance. Oh, emerging markets were up X, and then U.S. was down. Well, I don't want to buy that. Let's let's kind of follow the lead here. Follow the herd. It's the herd mentality. Right. So you got to be careful. You want to make sure that you examine your portfolio. Where are you sitting? Right? Did you miss out on a couple... Bucks in your overall return? I would guess yes. Uh, but diversification is your best friend, but it's also, in some cases, um, where it blows people up. It's like, it, it, it's not going to be the, 
your portfolio, if it's diversified appropriately, you're not going to achieve the highest rate of return. Yeah, you'll never be the top performer. You'll never, ever, ever. be the top performer, ever. But the point is, you'll never be the lowest either. Yes. So it's not necessarily managing return. You want to manage risk. And I think a lot of our listeners are looking at, all right, well, here, I want to hedge my risk as much as I can because I'm retiring soon. I need cash flow. I need income. But I also want to make sure that I generate a return that will outpace inflation and taxes. And then maybe I have a couple of bucks to give to the kids, grandkids, or whoever that you want to give your money to. But that fear and greed will drive you nuts. Right? When the markets are you know, performing, U.S. markets, what do we hear? S&P 500, Dow Jones, inundated. And then so people compare their overall portfolio, if they're globally diversified, maybe to the wrong benchmark. Sure. So that's where you have to understand what the heck you're doing in knowing that, okay, well, certain asset classes are going to perform in different ways. They're going to be more volatile. There's going to be more risk associated with them. They're going to go up and down more violently right, than other asset classes. Well, I don't want bonds because interest rates are going up. Well, okay, well, you need to cushion the blow if the markets implode. So it's not necessarily always about getting the highest rate of return. It's measuring the risk that you're taking in the portfolio, mitigating that to get you the highest probability of return. So that's my uh, 10-minute market spiel. I'm sure we've lost most uh, of our listeners. Well, those, those that stayed are much smarter for it. Oh, yes, they are. Nobody knows what's ahead for investors, but Larry Swedro's book, Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett, offers bedrock investing principles that can help you profit in today's shaky markets. Right now, it's available for free to Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Just click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get yours. Learn how to think like Warren Buffett and build a well-designed portfolio based on solid evidence and your highest interests. Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett by Larry Swedro, with a foreword by Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get your free copy. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. In handy bullet point format. This week, top 10 tax-saving strategies of the last 25 years. This is uh, Worth Magazine. Ooh. These are solid gold. All right. Every single one of these. Yeah, really? The time... Time true tested. See, usually with these best moves, I mean, it is so bad. They're like, really? <laughs> well, every one of these we talk about, but here they are all in one place. All right. Well, let's. let's some let's. some will see element seem elementary to you, but they're worth a discussion. All right. Number one. Yeah. Are you pretty excited? I am. Uh, number one is municipal bonds. Okay. Okay. Why, why is that a good tax planning strategy? Well, you, well, there's a there's a that's a double edged sword right now. Uh, <laughs> right. So, all right, so a, a municipal bond is tax free income, and if you buy that municipal bond in the state that you reside in, then it's going to be state tax free as well, and municipal and um, county and whatever, right? Yeah, triple tax free. <laughs> triple tax free, as we like to the, say, is the terminology. Yeah. So you, you do not pay any income on the interest that that municipality or the municipal bond um, is generating. You could buy a municipal bond in a state that you don't live in. Um, it would still be federally tax-free, but then you would have to pay state tax if you have a state tax in your state. 
um, on the interest. So that's a pretty good thing. Right? Yeah, and and of course this one depends upon your tax bracket, right? And so yeah, but you, you got to be careful on you know if I'm in the fifteen percent tax bracket, twenty five percent tax bracket, it it the, the numbers are probably not going to jive um, to yeah. where you think it's going to benefit you because you're going to receive a lower yield on that interest payment because it's from a municipality right right they're, they're building a tram or right. something it's school district it's sure. a water district or whatever it is yeah and it's not like it's a you know they're, they're making significant profits so the interest payment is going to be lower yes but to entice you as an investor they're going to say all right well the interest payment that we're going to give you is going to be tax-free because it's a little bit lower than you could purchase let's say a corporate bond that is for profit. Right. Yeah. So it depends upon your tax rate. You got to look at after tax returns. So little example. Okay. 6% rate of return on a, on a bond. Jeez. If, if you could find one. We're, we're going. What are we we're, in the 70s? We're going, we're going Greece. <laughs> Retro. Yeah. Puerto Rican bonds. I just wanted to do the math simple. Oh. So maybe it's, who knows? Maybe it's a risky bond. 6%. <laughs> yeah. That's going to default. If you get a 6%. Yield, but let, let's say let's say you're in a fifty percent tax bracket. Fifty, fifty, okay. Which, which you could be in California because the federal tax rate, the highest rate, is about forty percent, and then California can be another thirteen point three. So we'll just say fifty percent tax rate. So your six percent rate of return is going to feel like three percent net to you because the other half of it goes to taxes. Well, if you get a municipal bond for four percent or four and a half percent, yeah, it's lower than the six, but you got more money in your pocket. That's the idea of the net after-tax return. And to put it in current numbers, <laughs> it's probably uh, it's probably a 4% corporate bond and a 2.5-3% municipal bond. That's de- way too de- high still. De- not necessarily, depending upon the term. Sure, if you're going yeah. long. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? If you look at right now with municipalities and at the change of the tax code and things like that, it, it's a risky proposition, I think. Yeah. Right? And, because and, or let's say there's tax reform. And then I was in the 39.6 bracket. Now I'm in the 35%. Now that tax equivalent yield is not necessarily going to look as good. Right. And let's say I moved to Washington State, and now I don't have any state taxes, or Nevada, for example, right? And of course, as you were alluding to, if you're in a lower tax bracket, that net after tax return, it's not going to be that different than the regular return. So anyway, it depends. There's a couple other things there, or one other thing is some municipal bonds are uh, an alternative minimum tax adjustment. So if you're subject to Altman, uh, be aware of that. All right. So here, it, l- l- let me put this in perspective. Okay. All right. So do you, you want to go five years, 10 years, three years? What, what you want to see an average here? I want to go yeah, five years. Five years. Okay. So let's just take a look at long U.S. government bonds over the last five years. Okay. 2.82%. Okay, that's U.S. government, not corporate. Now we go into, let's see, you want to go to corporate? Sure. Uh, corporate high yield, so that's junk. Risky. That's seven, okay. 6.89. Yes. So then you look at the uh, just the aggregate bond index. Okay. So that's kind uh, of everything average. all hodgepodged in there, 2.2. 2.2. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, we know bonds have not paid that well. You know, over the long term, though, bonds, if you go back decades they they return five or six percent we haven't seen it lately let's see bonds over the last 10 years it's about four and a half yeah right yeah. four and a half yeah so if i look for the last year 
Uh, U.S. government bond index is down about 7%. Municipal bonds are down about 50 basis points. Mm-hmm. But high yield is up 12. Right, right. Yeah. So this is um, uh, past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Indices are not available <laughs> yes. for direct investment. Index performance does not reflect the expenses associated with the management of the actual portfolio. Yield curve data from the Federal Reserve. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Okay, we're compliant now. We are. So, all right, next Roth conversions. Oh, boom. I yeah, like those. Boom. Right off the bat. Why is a Roth conversion good? What is this? A quiz? <laughs> are you t- testing just, my competency? I just, I just talked to somebody that had what, watched our TV show and, and he said he liked the quizzes the best. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, all right, so why is a Roth conversion good? Well, it, it could be good, and it could be bad. It really depends on your specific situation. <laughs> That's not a very helpful answer. The, the idea behind a conversion is taking money from a retirement account uh, that is either right a 403B, 401K, TSP. It's a defined contribution plan. You put pre-tax dollars going in, so you got a tax benefit today, and it's growing tax-deferred, and then you'll pull those dollars out, and you'll pay taxes at a later date. All of that is great. But in some instances, where we find is that if you've saved a lot of money in these overall retirement accounts and they build to a certain dollar figure, we see that sometimes the the old adage of you'll be in a lot lower tax bracket in retirement is not necessarily true for those people. So tax diversification is a key component of a tax-efficient retirement strategy by having money from a retirement account that would be taxed at ordinary income, but also if you have money that's in a Roth IRA that would come out of those dollars um, tax-free. So conversion is you're converting some of those dollars into a Roth. You're paying the tax today, but then all future dollars are going to grow 100% tax-free. And if you do this correctly, you can save yourself significant tax dollars long term because there is no required minimum distribution in a Roth IRA. You're going to, let's say, pass at some point. It goes to your spouse tax-free. It would go to the kids tax-free. Now, if you believe that tax rates are going to stay the same, or potentially go up on you, now it might make even more sense to take a look and say, you know what, I want to start chipping away at this retirement account, get it into a Roth so I don't have to ever worry about the tax again. So I'm a huge fan of Roth conversions, and so are you. We've been talking about them for the last 10 years. Yes, we have. Because it gives you power. It gives you control over your taxes in retirement. Then you know exactly what you can manipulate your tax bill to be based on the assets and how they're taxed. Yeah, what's a little trickier, what, what would seem a little tricky right now is, is, do we convert now in what could be a higher tax bracket? based upon tax reform, which may or may not happen, and we may have lower brackets. And so I think a lot of people don't realize when you do a Roth conversion, that's simply taking money out of your IRA, converting it to a a Roth IRA. You pay taxes on what you convert, but then all future growth income principle is tax-free. So if uh, you do a conversion right now, let's say Monday, you go to your broker and say, I want to do a $100,000 conversion, whatever. And then you have until October 15th of 2018 to undo it. Let me say that again. October 15th, 2018. Not this October, next October. Why that date is that's the final extended due date of a tax return. And the IRS says you don't, you can undo it if you want to. So here's the strategy that almost nobody considers is when you do a conversion, you also have to look at what the account has grown to or decreased to before you make that decision. For example, we may find out that 
you know, you're in the 20% bracket now. You did a $100,000 conversion. 20% bracket means you pay $28,000 in, in federal taxes, taxes yeah. right, plus state. And next year, you're in a 25% bracket. So you would say, well, I'm just going to recharacterize it because I'll be in a lower bracket next year. But what if your account went from 100000 to 125000 well, you're actually paying that 28% on a hundred thousand. Whereas next year, if you want to do basically the same transaction, you'd be doing 25% of 125. If you do the math, you'll actually do better converting in a higher bracket based upon the growth, growth. of the account. Right. And this is a, it's just a big miss. I don't think advi- a lot of advisors and a lot of even tax preparers are not really aware of this strategy. Well, you've got to look at the, t- the, the tax equivalent rate, yes, right? the effective kind, tax rate. Right. It's kind, it's kind of like a muni bond. If if you will. What, what did that really cost you in terms of when I do the recharacterization, recharacterization or when I'm thinking about the recharacterization, what's the account worth versus what's the amount of tax that I have to pay? Do a new mathematical calculation to find out your real tax rate. And in my example, I don't have my calculator in front of me, but it's going to be below the 25%. It actually would be a good deal in that case, right. even though tax rates go down. But and then, then I got $100,000 in a Roth IRA that I pay tax today. And when I need that money, 10, 15, 20, years down the road, I potentially now that 100000 could double, could triple, right? In you know, 20, 30 years, depending on what you're invested in, right. hypothetically, of course. Right. But then you have that money that you can draw from in addition to your retirement accounts, in addition to your Social Security, in addition to your pension plans, that is not going to jump you up potentially even in the higher brackets if you need more cash flow in a given year. It's giving you the control that we believe that, that you absolutely need, because when do you need the money the most? It's in retirement. Right. You have the cash flow today as you're working, you're not going to have a paycheck in most cases when you're retired. You're going to have to create your own. And if you can create some of that paycheck tax-free, that's key. There are many tax-saving strategies in addition to the 10 we're covering today. Which ones work best for your situation? Find out. Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com to access white papers, articles, webinars, and over 400 video clips on tax planning, as well as investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and much more. It's a veritable treasure trove of information just waiting for you at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. If you need more help, you can always email us at info at purefinancial.com or pick up the phone and call us at 888-99-GOALS. That's 888-994-6257. This is Worth Magazine. What have been the top 10 tax saving strategies of the last 25 years? And the third one is charitable giving. All right. And charitable giving, I think most of us know if you give money to charity, you get a tax write-off. But a lot of people kind of, that's the end of their knowledge. And, and let me let me give you a few basic things that, that if you don't know, you should know. And if you do know, maybe it's a good reminder. Is first of all, a charitable deduction is what's called an itemized deduction. And every year you add up all your itemized deductions and you see if it's more than the standard deduction. And if it is more than the standard deduction, then you get to take your charity. Right. right? If you're not itemizing your deductions, so let's say you don't have a mortgage, you don't have medical expenses, the state taxes are low, you don't have un, you know, reimbursed employee expenses and things like that. Um, it, so you have to look at, well, how much are you giving a charity? If you're giving five, ten thousand bucks, 10000 what, the standard deduction is 13 something Yeah. For 2017, the married filing joint is 12700 is the standard deduction. If you're single, it's 6350 So in other words, if all your standard, all your, your, your itemized deductions don't add up to those figures, then you just get the standard, which means that extra charity payment that you made 
didn't affect your taxes at all. Right. Right. So if you're looking for a tax deduction, well, I you, think we people give for the giving. They they do, but but sometimes they're misgiven. They they think that they're getting a benef- tax benefit and they're not. They're not. So that's the first thing to to be aware of. A, a thec- the second thing that a lot of people don't realize is you don't have to give cash. Most charities will accept your stocks, right? Your mutual funds. And why would that be an advantage to you? Well, if you give them some shares of stock that's appreciated, well, you don't have to pay taxes because you never sold it. You gave it to the charity. And by the way, your charitable deduction is what the stock is worth on the date that you donate it. So think about this. If you'd sold the stock, then you pay the tax, and then whatever the difference is, you give that to charity. Ten thousand dollars of stock, you pay three thousand of tax. You give charity seven grand, or you ten thousand dollars stock, you just give it straight to charity. There is no tax to pay, and the charity gets the ten grand. And then you get a tax deduction for the ten grand. That's right. That's exactly right. So, uh, and this I think is surprising to a lot of people, even well-educated people, that they can actually give stocks to their church or to a number of organizations will accept them. So then that means if you have appreciated stocks, instead of selling them all, maybe you designate some for future gifts to charity. Right, because those stocks probably are earmarked for something. So then you look at, all right, well, what is it earmarked for? Is it earmarked for income? Well, all right. So, and let's say you you have high dividend paying stock, and you love the stock, and you're like, no, I'm not going to sell the stock. I'm just going to give cash. Right. You could buy the stock back with the cash. So you give your highly appreciated, high-paying dividend stock to the organization of your choice, You know the charitable organization. You get the tax deduction. You don't pay tax on selling it. And then you take your cash and you buy back the stock the same day. Right. Right. So you're not going to disrupt your portfolio one bit, but it's going to save you. Uh, quite a bit on the other side on in regards yeah, to tax. You got to look at your total return. You got to look at your total return. Something else that a lot of people don't know is you can bunch up your charitable deductions all in one year. Let's say you're, you have a high income year for whatever reason. This is the year you got a huge bonus or severance or who knows what. Well, you can actually put money into what's called a donor advised fund, donor advised fund. And that you can do that through Schwab or TD Ameritrade or Fidelity. They all do them. It's an account that you control. You're the, you're the uh, trustee of that account. Uh, and this is uh, an account to be divvied out to the charities of your choice in the future, whatever you want. So in other words, let's say you give... 10,000 bucks a year to, right. to charity, whatever the number, doesn't matter. And you're in an extra high tax year, and you can afford it, right? So you put $50,000 into a donor advised fund for future charities. You get the $50,000 deduction this year, the year you put the money into the donor advised fund. Then you can decide <laughs> next year, all right, I'm going to give the $10,000 to the charities of my choice, and it can... It can be any charity you want. Right. And it can vary. You can say, all right, I'm going to give 20,000 this year, zero next year, 5,000 the following year. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You got got the the tax deduction when you put the funds in the overall account. Correct. And so understand it's a one way street. You can't take the money money back. back. It's a a charitable donation. But it it applies to a lot of folks when they're in a high tax year. And and we see that, particularly those, those individuals that are in their 50s and 60s. Maybe they're making more salary. Maybe they have a big bonus year. 
year, or maybe um, they're they've sold a bunch of company stock, right? Or stock options. Or... Who, who knows? Any any number of things that can happen to where temporarily you're in a higher bracket. And wouldn't it be nice if you could create an extra deduction in those years? And and the truth is, you can. Right. Yeah, it's a great strategy. Donor advised fund. Donor advised fund. Yeah, that's a good one. The fourth one, Joe, is tax loss harvesting, which we talk about all the time. So that's that can be pretty effective, too, for reducing taxes. Yeah, but I think still people get so confused on the concept. I do, too. They don't understand the long-term effects of why you would want to do it. And it's almost counterintuitive to what people hear in regards to when to buy and sell stocks. Sure. Right, because here's the concept of, of tax loss harvesting, and this is only applicable if you have money in a non-retirement account. Good point. Yep. So if you have dollars in a brokerage account that's outside of a retirement account, and you know stocks go up and stocks go down, and let's say you have a loss in a particular stock, stock mutual fund, exchange traded fund, index fund, doesn't matter, and so you bought it at ten dollars a share, now it's worth seven dollars a share, so you have a three dollar loss. What we would suggest that you do is to sell that security, right? Then people are saying, well, no, I'm at a loss because it's anchoring, right? People anchored their investments on whatever they purchased it for. No, I bought it at $10 a share. I'm not going to sell it until it at least gets back to $10 a share. We'll say, no, all right? Now it's at $7 a share. You can sell those invest that investment and buy something similar. Let's say it's a, a mutual fund, large company mutual fund. You sell that, you buy something similar. You buy an all U.S. stock market index fund. Okay? Yeah, and then 30 days later, you can go back into the original fund if you want to. And why would you want to do that is what you're doing. Yes, you're lowering your basis to $7 a share, but you're also taking that $3 loss, and then that sits on your tax return. And then that loss will offset any gain that you have in any other investment dollar for dollar. So if you harvest enough losses as stocks are volatile and you have gains in other areas and as you rebalance your portfolio or as you try to create income from your portfolio, that income or distribution that you're taking from that account would be offset from those losses. So you could create another tax-free way of income in retirement. Yeah, so your Roth IRA plus your non-qualified non-retirement accounts can be taxed at zero if you do enough tax loss harvesting. We're told that the biggest tax cut ever is on its way, but the president and the GOP remain divided on a number of key policy questions. How might income tax, estate tax, and business tax change? Visit the White Papers section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download the White Paper, Tax Reform, Trump versus House GOP, to find out. Are your tax strategies at risk? Get year-end tax planning tips that can help you stay on track in the midst of uncertainty. Download the Tax Reform White Paper to find out more. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. We're talking tax loss harvesting, and I want to get into this just a little bit more. Because I think where you could get a globally diversified portfolio um, that will perform quite well with three funds. Right? You could say, I want to do the total stock market index. I'm going to do the total international emerging market index and a short-term bond fund, right? And then I could pick my allocation. Maybe I want 60% of my equity component in U.S., 40% is going to be international and emerging markets, and then the rest is going to be bonds. And depends on my split of 60-40, 70-30 of bonds and stocks. So you can do it with three funds. The returns on that is 
you know, it, it could be similar. Let's say if you had 10 different funds, right? If you break it out a little bit differently, if you say, I want small company fund, I want a large company fund, I want a growth fund, I want a value fund, I want emerging market fund, an international fund, and so on. So you kind of have similar investments, but they're in additional additional wrappers, if you will. Yeah, 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 right. Okay. Instead of having, you know, three apples, yeah. I might have nine apples, but the three apples that I have, they're really big yeah. apples. Sa- same amount of good eating. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it will fill you up. If you eat those three apples versus the nine, it's going to taste... Got, got, you know. got to eat all nine to get yes, filled up. Yes, right, exactly. Okay. But here's the problem with that, is that what happens is, is that trying to rebalance and tax lost harvest is a little bit more challenging or not nearly as efficient, in my opinion. When you have just three. When you just have three. Because, because you have kind of winners and losers all blending together in the it, same investment. And the same fund. Yeah, that's a good point. And then when you let's look at target date funds, right? right. Those are extremely popular. Sure. Right? If you have a target date in, you know, let's say, Freedom Fund. I'm, I'm retiring in 2030. Right. So you picked out your you know, 401k plan. It, it doesn't matter because... There's no tax loss harvesting. But if it's in a non-qualified account, if it's in a, a brokerage account, I think it's very inefficient from a tax perspective. Right. Because you might have all those asset classes in one fund or two funds, but how are you tax managing it? Because let's say I have a total U.S. stock market fund. Well, I got small companies in there. I got mid-sized companies in there. I got growth companies in there. And I got value. And I got growth. But it's right. all in one fund. Right. And we just went through the numbers. Yeah. Sometimes value significantly outperforms growth. Well, you might want to rebalance that to get it right. Or sometimes value underperforms. You might want to tax loss harvest that. Sure. Yeah, there's there's no question. This can be a big deal. And, and uh, these losses, you can net dollar for dollar against any capital gain. So, for example, your stock losses you can net against real estate gains because it's still a capital asset. And the IRS says that every single year, whatever your accumulated losses are, you compare it against your gains, dollar for dollar, and so you can year after year have no capital gains. If you still have extra losses, the IRS says, well, we'll even let you deduct 3000 more against ordinary income, and then the difference will carry over to the next year, and it carries over for your entire life. So you never lose it. So there's there's really no downside in doing this other than there is, is some trading costs, right? And so if you have a $6 loss, you might not want to do that trade because the trade might cost you $6. Right. Right. And, and you got to, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet with some of this because you might have a, a, in, um, a position that is at a significant gain from when you purchased it, but that now is getting crushed. You still can't tax loss harvest it. Because it's still higher than the basis that you purchased it. Right, right. Right? You bet. So that's kind of where I'm falling into. I have two different portfolios. One is just a simple um, three-fund jobby that I put together, I don't know, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's the Dan Sullen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? I was like, yeah, I'll just do that. And then now I have so there's a lot of gains over the last 15 years in that portfolio. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I, I need to get it into my other well diversified tax efficient portfolio, but, but you I can't. I, too, I, I too can't. I'm just gonna blow myself up in tax. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm like my own. I'm not even following my own advice. <laughs> I'm like a fat doctor. Well, it's because you got smarter over time. Yes, you know, you know how true. to do it better yes. now. Hey, Joe, we're talking about the. Um, Top 25 tax-saving strategies in the last 25 years in Worth Magazine. Their next one is maximizing retirement plans. And 
A lot of people don't do that. I mean, basic stuff. If your employer has a 401k, you at least want to contribute to the match. And what a match is, is if you put money in, your employer puts money in. So why wouldn't you do that? You put in a dollar, your employer puts in a dollar. It's like you put in two, but it only costs you one. Right. Right? Because I can't afford it, Al. Yeah, I know that's what we hear, right? right? People don't realize, though, that a 401k or 403b, it's a tax deduction. So that dollar that you put in is something you don't pay tax on. So it's actually out of your pocket. It's going to cost you less than a dollar because you save taxes on that buck, right? So anyway, and and, and I understand, especially when you're younger and you've got credit card debt, you got a car loan, you got student loans, and you're being told by Dave Ramsey to get that thing paid off as fast as possible. And I don't disagree with that. But I also don't want you to leave money on the table when it comes to 401k with a match. It, 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 well, here's on the other side of this, Al, because let's say that I'm self-employed. I ran into an um, individual, hypothetically, that, that builds uh, very high-end um, homes in Southern California, uh, makes a great living. Um, had, you know, he's got lawyers, he's got CPAs, right? And right. he's got a broker. And he's been putting his retirement savings solely in an IRA, fifty five hundred bucks, sixty five hundred bucks. Right, and that's all. That's it. And I'm like, well, why don't you have a solo four hundred one k plan? You're sole proprietor. You don't have any employees. You make a great income. You know that you can shelter a lot more money than the sixty five hundred. And if he would have done that, because he's in his sixties, right? How about if he started that 20 years ago? Right. Do you th- and he had the income. Do you think he would have probably maxed it out? The answer is yes. Sure. So he's maxing out an IRA, which he thought that was the max that of 6500 bucks. Right. And he doesn't have a ton of retirement savings because of that fact. Right. Because of human nature again. All right, I'm gonna put I'm gonna start with my retirement account. Well, it's sixty five hundred. Well then, oh, I got an extra cash flow. Well, you know, instead of saving it into a non qualified or brokerage account, sometimes we tend to spend. Well, and I think a lot of professionals and business owners they 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 spend time thinking about their business. Right. Not about retirement exactly. planning. And that's where's a, the next job gonna come from? Right. Let's finish this one and, and it's like, you know, retirement. You're 40. It's like, oh, well, I'll think about that tomorrow. I got to, I got to get the next client. I got to do this job. They're expecting it tomorrow, and I understand that. But sometimes, if you, if you just, if you would just plan your retirement as much as you plan your vacation, man, right. you would be in so much better shape. And and when it comes to retirement plans, if you're a business owner. It's uh, it's there's that solo 401k which is a good one. If you have employees, Safe Harbor 401k is a great one. If you make a lot of profit and you're older, let's say you're in your late 50s, 60s, defined benefit plans still make a lot of sense. Joe, you and I have seen business owners put away two or three hundred thousand dollars in a single year and get a tax deduction in a defined benefit plan. So, three hundred grand deduction. Deduction. Yeah, we've we've seen us. Uh, we've given advice to some business owners where, because of that large deduction, has put them in such a low tax bracket. Right. Then it makes sense to take their other retirement accounts and convert those into Roth IRAs while they're in a low bracket. While they're in a low bracket. Yeah. They're like, I've never been in a low bracket. I've never been able to qualify for a Roth IRA. Right. I was like, here, watch this. Yeah. Right here, shelter three hundred grand. Right. Right now, you're in a ten percent bracket. There's room for another, I don't know, maybe $100,000. You're still paying half of the tax that you would have if you didn't do the planning. 
Your Money, Your Wealth isn't just a podcast, it's also a TV show. Check out Your Money, Your Wealth on YouTube to see Joe and Big Al talking about planning for retirement over your entire lifespan, investing biases you may not realize you have, social security claiming strategies, and pure financial feud. What is the percentage of social security beneficiaries that are women? Uh, Mike? I'm going to go 45%. That is incorrect. Oh. Joe, you have a guess? I had no idea what the question was. <laughs> Watch clips of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your Money, Your Wealth. You know what's weird about doing a TV show So, um, is you get recognized, although, albeit very, very occasionally. <laughs> Would you go to the nursing home? <laughs> I, would, I get recognized in the office with our clients. Oh, oh you're hey, on the TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. In the elevator. Right. But I, got, I went to the San Diego Fair. Uh, I think it was uh, over the 4th of July weekend. And uh, right in the middle of thousands of people, this lady. Oh, you're the pure financial TV guy. Should you sign some autographs, Big Al? <laughs> I said, well, yes, I am. Thanks, wow. thanks for watching. Hey, call me Big Al. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I thought you said <laughs> a little um, whatever. Some it food. happens occasionally, and I'm, I'm here to tell you I enjoy that. Oh, so, so if you, you see Big Al on the street, just uh, say hi. Hey, what's up? I'm not one of those celebrities that doesn't that gets. I, celebrity is a very <laughs> large word, there, buddy. Wow, I'd say you're an infomercial king. <laughs> I'm, I'm a I'm an accountant slash financial planner that gets an opportunity to talk in front of a microphone and yes. a camera. There's nothing better though than a. Get in a microphone, project your voice a little bit. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah because, yeah, it's, uh, and people will tell me sometimes, wow, you got a great voice for radio. Oh, I'm thinking, really? Yeah. That's. You should see his face. <laughs> <laughs> well, they always follow up with that. And I can see why you don't do TV, but they don't say that anymore since I do TV. Right, right, right. But they, they put, uh, what they put dark lights on me, so you can't really just see the silhouette. We're in the presence of, <laughs> of something special here, folks. Well, we are talking about the um, top 10 tax saving strategies of the last 25 years. Yes, this is worth magazine. So we're not these, finished with that yet, we're, we're only halfway. Oh, all right, we got how many segments do we have? <laughs> I'm only number six. Oh, okay, so well, the let's keep plugging next one is the choice of business entity. Oh, now this is interesting. So, so like. Here's here's your basic choices. You can if you don't do anything, you're by default a sole proprietorship. But you might want to be an LLC. You might want to be a partnership. And partnerships, general partnership, limited partnership. You might want to be an S corporation. You might want to be a C corporation. And it's it, it's very confusing for new business owners as as to what's best. And there's <laughs> there's a lot you could say, but I'm going to try to boil it down pretty simply. And that is, if you if you're just starting out a company and you're not even sure if, if you're going to make a go of it, just stay sole proprietorship. It's it's simpler. What's the difference if I'm a single? Well, why do subchapter S versus just a single member LLC? Well, that's a good question because th that's that would be kind of the next level that you would go to. Is it based on employees? Is it based on profits? Is no, it based on the, revenue? The, is it based the, on the re liability? A lot of confusion here, but most business owners pick S corporation over LLC for a couple reasons. One, one is with an S corporation, you pay yourself a salary and you only pay payroll taxes on that salary. When you're an LLC, everything is then salary. Every, everything is considered earned income. You don't pay yourself a salary. 
salary, but it's all earned income. So let's say you make $100,000 of profit. If it's a LLC, that whole $100,000 is subject to payroll taxes. If you're an S corporation and you pay yourself 50000 and the other 50000 is just profit from the business, you only pay payroll taxes on the $50,000. Oh, okay, so tell me the distinction because there's some um, practice here that the IRS doesn't necessarily care about. True. Well, right. yeah, when I go over that, you can sort of see the abuse here. Right? You know, Which so is... I still don't understand. So I'm making $200,000 of yeah. profit, and so I'm going to pay myself a $30,000 salary. Yeah, or a dollar. Yeah, well, yeah you want to get... <laughs> want to go extreme. So I'm paying but, myself a salary. I'm yeah. paying some self-employment tax on the thirty grand. Yeah. And the 270 is coming through, flow through as a dividend. Yeah, no. I'm not no. paying Social Security tax on no. that. No, you're not. But so, I'm paying, um, I'm not paying self employment tax, but I'm still paying FICA on the employer side or no? No, nothing. Nothing. No payroll tax so at all on the 270. 14%. Yeah, you saved 15.3% on the first 127,000 right. and then above that you saved 2.9%. Now, I will say in California, you do have to pay 1.5% for S corporation profits, so there's a little offset there, but you, you it works out a lot better and so the IRS is very savvy to this because people are trying to pay themselves a really low salary with an S corporation and here's what they say. IRS says that you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary based upon the job that you're doing. So, for example, let's say... I dig ditches. If I'm digging every ditch, everything well, is salary. For, for If you're the only employee, it's hard to justify anything other than 100% of the profits being your own efforts, right? But if but, I have reoccurring revenue, then that would qualify as a dividend, maybe? It could. It could. Like, let's, I'll give you a couple extreme examples. You're an attorney, you make $300,000 a year, you got no employees at all. That would be pretty hard to argue your salary shouldn't be 300000 because it's all based upon your own efforts and energy. Now, on the other hand, if but you're... No, what you say? Your salary should be 300000 should, should be 300000 yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, as an attorney, what if you work on contingency and get a big settlement? Maybe you could show that this million-dollar settlement that you got, only 300000 was based upon your salary and efforts, and the other 700000 is is you know potentially a dividend. That could be. A another situation is you've got employees, uh, and your employees are all getting paid $50,000, and you're the CEO owner, the person getting the, the clients, blah, 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 and you only pay yourself 20000 well, it's not going to fly. You're CEO. CEOs make more generally than the other employees. How about this? How about, let's say, if I um, I create an app. Okay. Okay. And I put in a lot of time and effort up front, mm -hmm. and now the app is just killing it. It's killing it, yeah. Right? And so I'm not doing any work. Yeah, I, I'm okay with I that. I haven't even looked at the app yeah. in years, Yeah. and it's bringing in 100 $500,000 of revenue. Yeah, so, so probably all you're doing is going to your mailbox and putting and money up in the check. bank. So there's, that's, you have to pay yourself for that. Okay. Right? Or keeping the company open, whatever it may be. And, and But that would be rather minimal. So right? I could justify a, maybe a ten twenty thousand $20,000 salary and have everything flow through as a... But potentially. A guaranteed I'd get mm -hmm. audited, though. Yeah, the IRS may <laughs> look at that. <laughs> but that's really what it comes down to, is what's a reasonable salary for the for services the... that you're providing? Got it. And so so there's, there's no hard and fast rule, right? I mean, it's not like you can say, if I pay myself $75,000, i will be okay, right? Well, maybe. 
right? It's, it's depending upon what you're doing for that salary. And so, uh, consequently, this is abused a lot. But I will say this just based upon my own experience in the past. So who knows whether this will still hold, hold true. I have uh, never seen the IRS come after somebody that paid themselves some salary. I've only seen them come after ones that pay zero salary oh, wow. so far. All so right. far. So maybe I shouldn't have even said that, but <laughs> so, but still, people are not even paying themselves a salary. They're saying everything's a flow through. Right. Exactly. Wow. And sometimes it's in in a scenario they don't even know they're supposed to pay themselves a salary. Sure. Yeah. Another handwriting there. Yeah. Tax return. Right. Right. All right. Well, lessons learned from Big Al. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a free financial assessment with a certified financial planner. Find out if you're on track for retirement. How much money will you need? What social security strategies are available to you? How much income can you get from your portfolio? Which of the tax strategies we're discussing today work best for your situation? Make sure your retirement strategy is aligned with your retirement goals. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Joe, I am going over. If you just tuned in. What have been the top 10 tax saving strategies in the last 25 years, according to Worth Magazine? You already missed the first six. If you missed them, go to our podcast on iTunes, type in Your Money, Your Wealth, and you can hear the other six. But I'm on to seven. The seventh one is a Section 529 education plan. Hmm. What's uh, What's that? What's the big deal about oh, that? I don't know. <laughs> Why is that a good idea? <laughs> Or is it? I don't know. Agree or disagree? Actually, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, here's the the here's what a five twenty nine plan is. Is that it's a college savings plan. It's sponsored by states. There's several states that have them. Most states, I believe. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily have to pick the state that you live in or that you reside in. You might want to look to see if there's a tax benefit that uh, by putting money into it. Some states do. They might give yeah, you a sure. little bit of a tax credit. California does not, by the California way. California does not. So you put money in, 10000 bucks. Put that in per year. Grows to $200,000, right? Because you started this when your child was five years old. And you bought Apple. And you bought yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So now you have this money in a 529 plan. The benefit is that if you use that for qualified educational expenses, then the distributions are going to be 100% tax-free. So that's, in your example, that whole 190000 to gain, tax-free. Tax-free. Never pay tax on it. Never, as long as, as, long as, as it's use used it, for college. You got Excuse it. Excuse me. Yeah, so if I use it for higher education, right, trade schools. But you got to designate a beneficiary. What if that beneficiary, your first grandchild, doesn't go to college? Well, then you can name another beneficiary. So you can switch it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that so is pretty cool. So instead yeah. of like, oh, man, I'm stuck. Because if you don't use it for higher education, right, well, then it's going to be taxed and penalized. Yeah, so I, none of my grandkids go to college, and I want the money. So I pulled the 200000 out. i got to pay taxes on 190000 and penalty on the one ninety. You got it. Yeah. So you... You want to make sure that uh, the, I guess the, the the pro to those is that well you get a tax deferred tax free vehicle which is phenomenal sure uh, the downside is is what we've found is that some of you may have overfunded it and that's a very few of you yes yeah, true um, most. Um, People are ill-prepared for retirement and college savings and things sure. like that. But if you were one of those that five... overfunded. Of five, five out of five two million. Out of two million people. 
uh, then yeah, then it's like okay, well now what do I do here? The kid's not going to see. even if you have like ten grand in it, right? And you're still going to have to pay taxes and penalties. Yeah. Uh, so you look at it like this to say, all right, well, who are my beneficiaries that I want to save for? So is it my children? Is it my grandchild? Um, so then you look at well, how many beneficiaries do I have? And you just have one. You know, I, my advice was not to say here let's let, let's put four years of college in this thing. Right? Maybe you fund two years of college into it. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's just in simple numbers. I know college is more expensive than this, but let's say four years is a hundred thousand dollars. Maybe you end up to where you have fifty or sixty grand in a five twenty nine plan because you don't really. If you put the whole hundred in, it may. It may not be used, and then you're kind of stuck. Now right. what? And then it's now, like, now you can, if your kids don't go, you could give it to your grandkids or your great-grandchildren, so you could do that. Yeah, you could right? keep switching beneficiaries. Um, but let's say the, the child goes to the armed forces. The, say the child... Yeah, they don't... They, they get, get a full, VA bill, full scholarship. Full scholarship, Yeah, whatever. Right? They're brilliant. Uh, you got one that goes in the military, and one is brilliant. Yeah. So you didn't need the 529 plan. So then you're looking at... Or you're short on your retirement. Yeah. And the kids don't know that the money's in the 529 plan. Right. And you're like, honey, <laughs> see this hundred grand? Let's pull this out. We thought we were okay. You know what? He could get a loan. Because we never, I need to fund our retirement. We never listen to your money, your wealth. Right. We're behind. Yeah, a little bit. We're, we're yeah. behind. Um, yeah. So yeah. So there's pros and cons that you can pick any state that you want. California has a, a decent plan. I think uh, you you just kind of take a look at the custodian, uh, make sure that you're comfortable with the investments. It's a state sponsored plan. You so know. so you can pick like for example, I picked Nevada because at the time they had Vanguard funds that I wanted to do, and uh, my two kids, one went to college. In California and went uh, went to Colorado. So it, it makes no difference what state the 529 plan is in, or what state the child goes to school in. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if I live in California, my kid goes to the University of Florida. Yes, is that the the plan? That's my alma mater. If I have a kid, I <laughs> yes. first got to find a spouse. Right. right. But anyway, you know, I got contacted by my alma mater, uh, and I met with Cuyamaca College, rep, rep, <laughs> Chapman's. <laughs> No. Did you go to University of Phoenix? No, I went you, to... Uh, you some Red Sox? And- I, I went to University of California in San Diego. Like UCSD. I, UCSD. I got Finding con- Toreros. Con- contacted by Lewis uh, and had coffee with him yesterday morning. Really? Yeah. So he, he wants me to get a little bit involved with the Alumni Association a little bit. So maybe I will. Have you ever met the guy before? No. What's his name? Lewis. Oh, like you said it like I, I should know the guy. You don't know? No. <laughs> <laughs> Met with Lewis. I'm like, who the hell's Lewis? Well, I don't have his last name memorized. Got it. Nice Got guy. It. So there. you guys are pretty tight. Tight. We had coffee. How much together. money does he want from you? No money. Because he heard big wallet on Big Al. Well, he did watch our TV shows. Oh. So he's he's he kind of kind of stalked me a little bit. Got it. So UCSD. Because, That's yeah. the Toreros, isn't it? No, it's the uh, Titans. Oh, it's the Titan. Or yeah. You don't even know. It's the Titans. Yes. I knew it was T. <laughs> But he he gave me a special pin. It's the it's the sun god because that's kind of the yeah that's the yeah right kind of the mascot I guess yeah, if you will yes because no one knows what a titan titan is myself included and I went there four years. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've also on this list, Joe. We've got estate planning, and uh, can't see a thing. Estate planning is you know what? It's not as um, tricky. I should say estate tax planning. Let me rephrase. Estate tax planning, because there's a difference. Estate planning is making sure your wills, trusts, powers of attorney are all in order. Sure. 
estate tax planning is trying to figure out the assets going to the kids in the most efficient manner. And a few years ago, the limits were increased substantially. So now, as it stands right now, if you were to pass away this year, the first about $5.5 million goes to the kids tax-free. Mm-hmm. And if you're married, it, you double up on it. So it's the first roughly $11 million goes to the kids tax-free. So for most people, that's enough, right? They don't have to do what's called advanced estate tax planning. But if you're over that, then you may want to look at some some strategies like family limited partnerships, like charitable remainder trusts, like charitable lead trusts. There's all kinds of things you can do. But interesting, interestingly enough, it's it's not... Uh, oh, going deep. <laughs> Qualified personal residence trust. Yeah. yeah, that can be a good one. We know somebody that oh, really yeah. likes Mark the Kenny. Yeah. Potentially defective grantor trust. Yes. Wow. You look at you. You pulled that out of the hat. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Grat. Yeah. yeah. Grantor retained annuity trust. Right. Okay. Yeah. I did. I did. Well, that's an intentionally defective grantor trust. <laughs> Very good. Okay. So, uh, oh, this one's too good. I'll come back to that next segment. The, la- the last one, number 10, is life insurance. Is that, oh. a, is that a good tax planning strategy? Well, it's 100% tax-free. So, so yeah, so that's, if you take a look at the tax code, uh, the death benefit is 100% tax-free to the heirs. So right. uh, not a lot of things pass to the heirs tax-free. Um, and, well, I guess a lot more nowadays than it did before, such as assets have a step-up in tax basis if you pass. Right. And what that means is, um, let's say if you purchased an asset such as your primary home for $500,000 30 years or 20 years ago it's worth a million five today and you die right uh, well then the basis the tax basis gets stepped up at the date of death so now the basis is 1.5 the heirs could sell the house and not pay any tax at all so that's pretty cool if you have a life insurance contract when you die with that well then the proceeds would go to the heirs 100% tax free they would not have to pay any tax at all on that life insurance proceeds. So right. I think it's, that is it's, key. It's, I think if it wasn't tax-free, I don't know how many more... Well, I, I still believe that people should have life well, insurance. Well, if, if, yeah, I mean... Wouldn't the, be as beneficial, I Yeah, guess. I mean, uh, to me, one of the main purposes of life insurance is your premature death. You have a family. They're depending upon your income, right? right. So that's that would be a time to have it. But some wealthy people actually use uh, life insurance to reduce taxes. And Is that it, what it's saying? Is that just the death benefit, or are they using the, the BS fund a life insurance contract no. and take income out with loans they, and FIFO they, and they, they well they yeah with tax free growth investment flexibility yeah they're they're going super Roth yeah we we don't necessarily buy all that stuff but but I but I will say if if you are high net worth and you and we just talked about if your assets are more than five and a half million or you're you're married and over an eleven million, it's a way to get assets to the kids avoiding estate taxes. But you have to set up an irrevocable life insurance trust. And a lot of people don't know what that is or how that even works. Right. It's got to be outside of your taxable estate because life insurance is included in your taxable estate in. Yeah. Um, respect for um, estate taxes. So, so I've got a policy on myself. I pass away. Anne gets the money. Okay, and maybe she passes away at the same time, but it's part of our estate, and that means it's going to be subject to estate tax unless we put it in an irrevocable life insurance trust. But we can't pay for the premiums, so we have to gift them out. It gets kind of complicated. Little crummy letters. Yeah, is exactly yeah. right. So let's say let's make this simple. I'm single and. 
it's estate tax exemption is five million bucks. Yeah. Right. And let's just assume I have a house that's worth a million. I got my IRA that's worth a couple million bucks. I got a brokerage account that's worth whatever million. So you add all up that. That's five million dollars. Okay. So so without the life insurance, you're. Fine. And then I got another two million dollar life insurance policy. Okay. So just in case if I pass away, then I can make sure Ruthie, my mother, and yeah. my family members are all right. Sure. So then they'll add up my taxable estate, and they'll say, all right, well, Anderson, you're worth $7 bucks." And you're thinking you're dead, but you're thinking, wait, I only had five. Right, wait, I only wait, had five. What are you talking about? Where'd you get the other two? <laughs> no, that life insurance, that's included in the taxable estate. So then they'll say, okay, well, you can pass $5 million estate tax-free, but the other two is going to be subject to estate tax at 40%. Yeah, 40%, right? So then all of a sudden, that life insurance inside the estate might you know so that's why if you have a larger net worth you want to still have the life insurance to create liquidity so let's say if you had a small business right and you didn't want to fire sell the business you have a farm you have um you know i say farm because i'm from minnesota but a winery or whatever right you, you don't necessarily want to have the kids or the grandkids sell it just to pay the estate tax sure. so you set up a separate trust that has a life insurance contract into it and then you have to yeah gift the premiums out to the beneficiaries of it with crummy letters and yeah. then they have to fund it. Yeah, yeah. Because actually, it has to be totally outside of your control. Yeah, you basically <laughs> gift it through your kids and kids' spouses, grandkids, whatever. And then they have to sign this letter saying they're foregoing their gift and it puts it into this trust. And it's so you don't have complete control over it. They could say no. Yeah. But then even, but then you could say then I'm gonna take you out of the will. Right. And yeah. or the trust. And right. then so they'll probably say yes. In most cases. Yeah. In most cases. <laughs> Get social with Your Money, Your Wealth and Pure Financial Advisors. Follow us on Twitter at YMYW Show. To connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Google+, just search for Pure Financial Advisors. It's a Triton, Alan. I don't even know my own mascot. It's a merman. Merman? I don't even know what the hell a merman is. Well, I knew what the, the Triton looked like. I, I said Titan, so Triton. And you're going to be, it was, it was, you got a gold pin. Well, you, it, should, you should give that back. If it was a Triton, I would have said it correctly, but it was a sun god. <laughs> uh, it's been a while, Joe, since I've been in college. And well, me too, not, but not, I still follow my but, team. But we were, not, we were not a Division One school, so uh-huh. there's no sports like yours. Got it. Although, here's what Lewis told me they are likely to become a Division One school. Really? Not, not for football, because uh, baseball. Yeah. For everything else, basketball, baseball. Yeah, yeah. basketball, they're, they're yeah. solid. Or yeah. US, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll see. The Tritons, UCSD Tritons. Well, Joe, I usually do these lists in a segment. This has taken six segments. Yeah, um, my whole email bag is blown up. I know. We're going to have to wait till next week. But if you just tuned in, we've been talking about the top 10 tax-saving strategies of the last 25 years, according to Worth Magazine. And the very last one's a pretty good one, which is after-tax investing, otherwise known as asset location. Hmm. So what's, what is that? Well, you want to put certain assets in certain areas of how those areas are taxed, for instance. Clearsman. <laughs> I know. That was really poor. You have assets such as real estate. Or you might have assets such as stock. You might have assets such as bonds, um, commodities, whatever. And each of those different asset classes have different tax characteristics within themselves. If I have a stock, it produces capital gains or dividends. If I have a bond, it's going to create income. Right. If I have real estate, let's say a real estate investment trust, a publicly traded one, mm-hmm. that's going to create income. 
potentially, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And so then you look at, all right, well, what is how the growth of that particular investment, can I put that in a certain account to get the best tax efficiency? So you're looking at after-tax return again. You got it. And so ideally, you want to put assets that have a higher expected rate of return in accounts that are more tax favored, such as a Roth IRA or a brokerage account versus a retirement account. Your retirement account, no matter what the growth is of that thing, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. So if I have some high flying stocks inside my IRA versus my Roth IRA, well, you might want to switch that because if I get all this great growth in my retirement IRA account, well, all the growth is going to be, well, I'm partners with the IRS. Right. If it's in a Roth, well, I don't have a partner, 100% tax-free. If I'm in a brokerage account, well, I'm going to be subject to a lower tax, capital gains. If I lose money in that account, I can tax loss harvest it. So there's all sorts of different benefits on, on asset location. But people get so confused. In our, because we do asset location, and we can asset locate, let's say, you know, a lot of our clients might have five or six different accounts. You know, you got a spouse, a married couple. Both of them have Roth IRAs. You know, then there's a brokerage account. Both of them have IRAs, right? And then we might have done a double Roth IRA conversion. So there's at least five, if not more. Right. And so you want to asset locate across all of the accounts in a household. But here's what happens sometimes is that one spouse IRA might be filled with bonds, then the other spouse's IRA might be filled with 40% bonds, and, but then the rest stocks because of the overall allocation of their group. So what, what you're saying is you want to make sure they have the right allocation. Where you put the investments makes a difference. But sometimes when you do that, husband and wife might have different assets in their individual IRA. Right. So they'll say, well, why is one spouse's retirement account performing better than mine. Yeah, I want Roy's account. I, yeah, I, I don't, right. you, or I want Brenda's. You, 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 put, you put bad investments in mine. Yeah, what the hell are you doing? No, it's not that. We look at the total household, and sometimes yes, I know. Um, that doesn't... So we have to have conversations. That's the best, most efficient way to manage your money, bar none. If how, you look how, at all the yeah. academic studies, that's what we follow. But then there's emotion. There's there's personalities. There's well, no, I want to kind of keep it separate. So then yeah, you kind of blow up the efficiencies you, that way. But yeah, yeah you put, it makes you feel better. You put your highest performing asset classes, highest when I say highest, I mean over the long term in the Roth IRA because that's where you want your highest growth. Well, the highest asset classes tend to be a little bit more volatile, and sometimes your emerging markets, right? Your small company stocks, your value stocks, which over the long term tend to outperform other ones. In the short term, they may be down. And people say, we did this Roth IRA and the account's down. You guys don't know what you're doing, right? right? And well, it's, I that, don't think they've ever said that. Well, they might have said that to you. They've thought that. I've never, they've never <laughs> said that to me. But the, the point, though, is is they they wonder, right? They wonder, is this really the best Yeah, strategy? well, why is this Roth IRA stinks? I'm down in, you know, it's down 10%. Right, right. Well, because you're in an asset class that has a higher expected return long term, to get that higher expected return, you have to take on more risk, and we measure risk within volatility. Yeah, and then how many times, too, have you seen, they don't have a Roth. They've got IRA, and they got a trust account. they got all their stocks in their IRA, and they got all their bonds in their trust account, right. which basically means 100% of their retirement is taxed at ordinary income rates, sure. the highest of rates. If they flipped it, then they would have half of their portfolio potentially as capital gains. Because here's what happens. They're used to saving into stocks or stock mutual funds in their right. 401k accounts, right. but then they get an inheritance. 
um, or the, they sell a business or they sell a property and then they don't know they have all this cash. It's like, well, why aren't you investing? Well, I don't know where to put it. I'm like, well, you, you've got all this money already invested in your retirement account. What? what well, I, I don't understand. Well, it's different. It's outside of my retirement account. No, money is money. You have right. to understand that, and you have to understand the tax consequences of the money that you have in regards to what account that it sits in. Woo! What a list today. Man, that's a heavy-duty one. That was. Thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. That's it for us today. We'll be back again next week. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. You just listened to another great episode of Your Money, Your Wealth. So to recap today's show, muni bonds, harvesting your losses, choosing the right business entity, life insurance, and asset location are just some of the ways you can save on your taxes. In Q2, growth beat value, large beat small, emerging markets were strong, and volatility was high. But every quarter is different, so stick to your long-term strategy. And Titans were members of the second generation of divine beings in Greek mythology, while Triton was the mythological Greek god who was the merman messenger of the sea. Glad we straightened that out. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com, even if it's about Greek mythology. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.